The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're going to be speaking about how to identify and heal intergenerational trauma. All of us have a story that reflects our own life and a legacy of life events we have received from the generations before us, one that we will pass on in some way to future generations. What is the impact of intergenerational trauma? Can we heal? Can we even benefit from this legacy? Our guest today is Elaine Cooper, an acclaimed group therapist and an author who has lived, studied, and written about this topic. She is the author of Let's All Hold Hands and Drop Dead, Three Generations, One Story. She's also the author of the Ancestral Ancestral Trauma Blog. Elaine Cooper is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of California School of Medicine at San Francisco. She has earned the Excellence in Teaching Award nine times, and she has literally taught in universities throughout the country. She's a fellow of the American Group Psychotherapy Association, and in addition to being an author of two books, she has written numerous articles and book chapters on group therapy and many topics. She has presented both nationally and internationally. Elaine Cooper, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. So, Elaine, it's such a fascinating topic. Let's start with helping our listeners understand, how would you define intergenerational trauma? Okay, well, when you refer to intergenerational trauma, you're really talking about one generation transmitting to another generation, which we've heard a lot about in terms of parents and children. But when you talk about transgenerational trauma, transmission of transgenerational trauma, we're talking about legacies that can go back hundreds of years. Okay, okay. So one of the things we're talking about today could be trauma that was passed on 
by parents or by great-great-grandparents. Right, right. Now, okay, could you give us an example? Um, I can because I just received a comment from somebody reading my blog, and I was very touched by it, and she gave me permission to share it. She said... I grew up 100-plus years ago, somewhere in continental Europe, most likely Ireland. Figure that out. I've never left the United States. No, I'm really not kidding. I have always felt like this. Sadly, my great-great-great-grandfather, William Bewley, youngest brother of the founder of Bewley's of Ireland, was disowned and disinherited by his family for marrying an Irish Catholic widow. This rejection has always been so personal to me, like I'm angry with my Irish Quaker cousins for doing this to me personally. It was 170 years ago, but it's like they did this to me and mine just yesterday. Like the British system in Ireland still exists, and they victimize me right now. It only makes sense if one applies the information in your blog toward this. Elaine, it's so interesting. Would you say it characterizes the type of um, trauma people have talked about and what we define in terms of this transmission of trauma across generations? Well, people talk about having ghosts in their genes. Um, They describe it like having feelings that they know are not their own, Hmm. Um, that there are encrypted secrets that pass from one generation to another without being detected, kind of like a bug in the software. And um, there are things that people don't understand about themselves that are completely incongruous with who they are, who they know that they are in present life. So what's so interesting, and we're going to talk about how these bugs or how these feelings get transmitted. But before we do that, I've asked Elaine, and you would find her asking some questions if you went to her blog. I've asked her to include you, the listener, and to take a moment to invite you to just reflect on your own generational legacy so that we can use that and you can use that as the backdrop to the rest of our show. Let's do that, Elaine. Okay. So first, I would like you to find a comfortable place, be relaxed, not to be multitasking, maybe even close your eyes, and picture one of your parents who you felt had a big influence on you. Just picture them in your head. And then as you picture them, try to get in touch with what emotion you feel looking at them. One word. Just one word. The next thing I would like you to do is to picture this parent and the message that this parent gave you as to how to get along in the world how to navigate in the human jungle and be successful. This would just be a few words. 
Now I would like you to write the story that goes behind the words. Why this parent is telling you what they're telling you. What is the story that goes behind the words? And this can be up to a paragraph. And so we're going to stop there, but you see what Elaine has offered, and it's a, it's a story that is worth thinking about and certainly writing down, but it's what we don't often do enough. Elaine, if, if I was to ask you, because your book is beautiful um, and your blogs are so important. Can I, wait, before, before we go on, okay. can I just make a comment about this exercise? Yes, please. With, with the, um, the message and the story. One way that, that generational trauma is transmitted is through what we call the social legacy that your, the parent gives the child. So the few words about the message that your parent gave you would be called, is your social legacy. And the story is your social narrative. So the social legacy and the social narrative are one of the ways that this transmission occurs over hundreds of years. Wonderful. You know, Elaine, sometimes with folks I've worked with, they've said the legacy has been a message like, don't trust anyone. Exactly. or work as hard as you can. That's the only way to get ahead. Yeah. Or make sure you marry someone who's wealthy. Right. Or never leave the United States, etc. Right. So I want our listeners to know it's as varied as the family, but it's usually poignant and something you don't forget easily. Right, and I can give you some more. In the Balkans, where there's tremendous ethnic fighting, the legacy is often revenge, take revenge. And that's part of how the wars continue generation after generation. Mm. Um, There's one story of a man on his deathbed. His last words to his son are, take revenge. For a lot of people that I've talked with, it's, follow a very straight and narrow path or it will be catastrophic if you make one little mistake. Just be good, do everything perfect, listen to what people tell you to do and get by. You know, the legacy of revenge or the message of revenge is such a difficult one because it's a legacy of hate and anger that out-trumps the the next generation's option of making their own choices. I mean, we can talk of the different legacies, but mm-hmm. it's such an important one that you mention it. Mm-hmm. I think we see the ripples of it in, in some of the pain and suffering we see nationally and mm-hmm. internationally. Right. El- Elaine, let's talk about the way these messages get transmitted, because I think they're done in different ways, and how they're done even bears on the impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's a revolution going on in medicine. It's called the quiet revolution that everybody should know about. It used to be that all genetic changes were the answer to everything. Our 
23 sets of chromosomes, our genes, is what determined who we were, plus our environment, heredity, environment. But since ancient times, people have noticed that human beings can make very rapid adaptations to their environment. So if they're in a famine, their bodies will adapt, which is very fast, and it's very different from evolution, which takes hundreds of years. So people have observed this, but they've never been able to explain it. And now we have an explanation. And what we learned is that the genes are covered with cells that are called the epigenome. Epi means above. So encasing all of these genes are these epigenetic cells. And these cells are designed to make quick adaptations. And they also are memory cells. They remember whether they came from their mo- the mother or the father. And significantly, these, all of these epigenetic cells are transferred with the genes at conception, which means that when you are born, you not only inherit your parents' genes, but you inherit all of these epigenetic cells that are programmed to make quick adaptation. Mm-hmm. And so if your parent was in a famine and his body adjusted to the famine, you will inherit that programming in these cells. Now, these cells are the ones that turn the genes on and off. So if your parent was in a famine, in order to adapt, it may have, cha- it may have turned certain genes off. For example, if there's a cancer, if there's a gene that is meant to fight cancer, then, and these cells turn that gene off, you will get cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it's very powerful. It's, these cells are the software that tells the genes what to do. And, and so, so you inherit all of this. So we also say things like the children of Holocaust survivors maybe are more likely to have post-traumatic stress if they faced an, another trauma. Um, there, there have been studies with um, women who were pregnant during 9-11 in terms of the responses of offspring and their cortisol level, depending mm-hmm. on what trimester. I think one of the take-home messages is it's not so much that you're scarred for life, but that in some ways you do carry some effects. Right. Um, and that what we're going to be talking about today is how we respond to what we carry. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think that's such new scientific information that I'm so glad you shared it. Mm-hmm. Let's also speak about the type of communication that one generation passes to another. Because I've worked with people, Elaine, who part of the intergenerational trauma they carry has to do with the fact that no one spoke about what happened in the generation of grandma or great-grandma. There was a sense of something terrible happening, but no words, so no ability to process it. Now, Right. 
Right. What else? You know, the clinicians have been able to identify certain risk factors that magnify your being affected by these, the prescription from these cells. Um, and we're also learning how to change, change the software, which is an incredibly exciting thing. Um, wait, I just lost my train of thought. What was the question again? Well, well, I wanted us to speak a little bit about codes of silence, but I'm very glad you oh, mentioned right. that. The but, risk factors, the risk yeah. factors. But it, it's worth our, our listeners knowing that much as you have epigenetic changes from trauma, there's increasing research that psychotherapy, which is an external, might also impact Right, and all of that is very new. I think the studies were showing the difficulties that people have. Um, Mm -hmm. But now they're looking at the advantages to cells being able to quickly adapt and change. And one of those things, we believe, is love and attachment. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of good news here. Um, and and what we're going to speak about, I, I'll just mention it in the last minute. I know you speak about in one of your blogs how a certain type of, is it a certain type of fox or um, mm-hmm. wolf that as a result of being loved became a completely domesticated type of animal? Right. Those, that's the Siberian fox. And so we have to assume, and we often start with animal research, mm-hmm. that the attachment bonds, loving the way, mm-hmm. the way in some way the new environment interacts with you is going to often reverse some of those changes. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about how generational trauma is transmitted and the pluses, the minuses, and how we heal. Stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a pet parent? If so, you'll want to stay up to date on the latest tech gadgets and advances for your canine or feline friend. With a ton of apps, websites, tech toys, and more, you'll want to be in the know when it comes to the real treasures and the duds. For that information, listen for Pet Lover Geek with host Lorian Clemens. We test and discuss what's hot and what's not on the pet front, so you'll be better informed. Tune in Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. 
Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about intergenerational trauma with Elaine Cooper. She's the author of Let's All Hold Hands and Drop Dead, Three Generations, One Story. So, Elaine, we were talking and touching upon risk factors, and I quickly mentioned that how the story of a family is transmitted to later generations can be a risk factor. Maybe we can pick up there and then talk about other risk factors. Okay, one of the risk uh, one of the risk factors for transmission of generational trauma is that the family does not talk about it. Um, one clinician who worked with tons of trauma Holocaust survivor uh, children, categorized the different kinds of families. So there were numb families. There were violent families, uh, angry families, and so forth. And then there were the families who made it, the ones who were successful, the children were successful. Surprisingly, those families had the most difficult most difficulty because there was such a break between the past and the present and there was no discussion about it. The parents just put up a big wall. Um, And so that disconnection between the generations caused problems. Mm. Uh, Other risk factors are, you know, people talk a lot about PTSD. For those of you who don't know, It means like if somebody's gone to war and they have nightmares, they have flashbacks, um, they have intrusive thoughts, and they don't go away. They don't get better. It's not contained in time. And, Suzanne, you know much more about this than I do. The, The people who have those symptoms and children of parents who have those symptoms are much more likely to have difficulty almost across the board, which means that they have different challenges in their life, and they have to fight harder, and there are a lot of pluses connected with that. Mm -hmm. And if there's violence in the family, like some of the Nazi um, Nazis, they were very violent with their kids as well, and also Holocaust survivors, they might identify with the aggressor and be violent at home. Those children had a harder time. And in com- people who have no community support, one of the things that they found with children of the Holocaust victims is they did better in Israel, because in Israel there was all this discussion and ritual, and in the United States they were isolated. 
So the Armenians, for example, did very well in terms of dealing with their Holocaust because they talked and talked about it. Um, so c- communities embracing these traumas and discussion um, is really important. We talk about narrating healing and the ability to move from a hyper-aroused state, from nightmares, Mm -hmm. from um, physical reactions, quick to startle, quick to anger. Mm -hmm. The ability to move from that place Mm -hmm. to telling the story of the trauma without becoming hyper-aroused, and that's Mm -hmm. very difficult if we Mm -hmm. have a parent who's suffering to the point that they're avoiding triggers such that they're avoiding every holiday, talking with their children, so you can almost see how, as far as military, sometimes it was those who were in a state of avoidance, their children really had a rougher time Mm -hmm. because they lost that attachment, and the Mm -hmm. parents, sadly, were struggling with their own suffering. So, you know, your point, Elaine, about in some way letting the message come out, uh, in fact, when we look at your story, you wrote from the time you were a little one, you were writing, and so was your brother, and then you, you know, your father was writing too, so sometimes the message and the story gets comes out in artwork, it comes out in written narrative, music, so, but the big thing is that it comes out in some way. Right, and one of the things that I have in my book is that when I was eight years old and had my first girlfriend and played fantasy play, I knew nothing about my father's experience in the famine and pogroms in Ukraine and coming here when he was uh, just turned 14. I knew nothing. I mean, I was just a child. And instead of playing mommy, daddy, or teacher, student, I played going through rubble, trying to find, like in a war zone, like that had been bombed, trying mm. to find, you know, anything. That's um, so interesting. So unconsciously, I was aware. And my <laughs> grandchildren, now we're talking about my father's great-grandchildren. Right. Um I, when they were little, I suggested I read them, you know, a story before they go to sleep. There were three of them there, and they said, oh, great. And then I started to talk, and they said, no, no, it's going to be bad. Don't tell us a story. <laughs> you mean they knew predictably you were going to tell a sad or bad story? Right, from, from my own history. Mm, that's so interesting. Um, There's one point in the book, and and it has to do with transmission and how you tell the story, where you say you're you're leaving the room and you shut the light, and you hear one of your little ones say to the other, there was a monster man who killed all the Jews. And tell us how you felt and what you did. Well... You know, with little, they say that the best time for kids to learn about these atrocities is like pre-adolescence, like 12, 13, 14, when they're right on the cusp of children to adults. So, you know, I never, I never introduced the Holocaust to my kids or any of these horrible atrocities, like most parents don't. So when my five-year-old came home, and asked me whether that was true, 
I stopped dead in my tracks, and I thought, this is, this is one of the biggest moments in my life as a mother. What do I say? But what came out of my mouth is, yes, it's true. But it's also true that incredible, miraculous things have been done by human beings. Mm-hmm. So I gave her the balance of both, which I so think is very important for all of us to live with that all of it is balanced. With every plus, there's a minus. With every minus, there's a plus. And human beings are wired to be horrible or, or saintly. We, can, we do everything, the worst and the best. But and it's that's, a very in good, that's in every one of us. It's such a good example of when people say, I don't know what I'm going to say when he or she asks about the war or a traumatic event or is to be able to give some perspective um, to the child. Are there any other risk factors that you want to share that um, we can possibly mediate by a parent's intervention or by the intervention with the community of other people? Well, I just really want to emphasize the challenge that Americans have with community. I mean, in other cultures... They have rituals to commemorate ancestors and to commemorate history. And the families are not spread out all over the country. Um, and, and people are in homogeneous communities. In the United States, we're so diverse that it's really hard for many people to find community. And yet, it's absolutely essential. There was one study that showed if you belong to a group, you lived longer than other people who didn't. And if you belong to two groups, you lived even longer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, community support is, like, really, really important. Well, I, I do I- want to say something about parents discussing this with their kids, I actually really feel sorry for the parents um, who, who are supposed to do this. Um, when I was in China, I, I was with the children of their parents were in the Cultural Revolution, and I asked them about it, and they said the same thing that people in America would say is that my mother, my parents will not talk about it. My mother will not talk about it. You know, she would say, why do I need to go there? I don't want to see. Why would I want to be reminded? So the parents, in order to survive, have, like, cut themselves off to their past in order to be able to march forward. And this is what happened in my family also. It's like... We want to be Americans. We want to assimilate. It's not important what happened before. What's important is that you, we start afresh. You know, we break the chain and start afresh. So the parents' defenses and what they need are exact opposite of what the kids need. Mm-hmm. And that's a very sad thing. So, you know, it takes a lot of courage um, for parents to to un- even understand why it's important for them to talk about it. Well, what you what you exemplify before is maybe an important guideline, and that is it's not one story you tell when someone's four and or one set of horrific images that you impart, but that the story is told 
in appropriate little pieces. Uh, I often say when we talk about the family narrative, it unfolds over many holidays. It unfolds at certain events. Sometimes something happens in the country, in the family, in the neighborhood, and that may be the opening. But to expect that you're going to tell the whole story to a child and they're going to integrate it all, it just doesn't go that way. Because even when we're integrating our own trauma, when you think about it, we're working on it over time. If we're in therapy, we're working on it over time. If we're in a group, we find the words over time so that I think it's worth the parents knowing that the very fact that you're sitting with children and referencing something when it reminds you or sharing a dream or referencing the a story on TV and movies give us plenty of examples and openings sometimes for be, beginning to tell the story of an earlier generation. I'm, I'm delighted that you're focusing on the parents because I think that's key, both in trying to understand what went before you and in what you're going to pass on. There was a woman that I once worked with, Elaine, who for the first month or so, a beautiful professional woman who sat in my office and did nothing but cry. Mm. And what we eventually came to and what she could eventually tell me is that Throughout her childhood, her mother, who was a victim of the Holocaust, a survivor, um, just sat at the kitchen table and cried. And mm. I, when I rethink about it, it's that she came to tell me the story in the exact way her mother told her right, the story. Right. But it wasn't a way that she could really heal from or find right. room mm-hmm. to integrate. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the other steps for breaking the tra- chain. I know you talk about engaging in altruism and um, being able to help others. What, what would you say about how do we break the chain once we realize the story? Well, there's a very uh, dramatic um, um, program on epigenetics on these, these cells. And the commentator, the researcher says, you know, if you drink and you smoke, all of that is going to go, all of those cells adapting to your drinking and your taking drugs is going to go to the next generation. So it's your responsibility to take care of these cells and your responsibility to reprogram them by taking care of your health. So you're not just responsible for yourself. If you're taking drugs or drinking, you're responsible to future generations as well. Mm. But people who, who go through trauma and their children who are also affected by it, there's been research showing that they come out with certain strengths that people who have been protected don't have. And these are the qualities. Um, one is is that they are very empathic usually. Um, they do have ego strength because they've had to overcome adversity. Um, so they can they can be very high functioning. They become social activists. Um, they they're high achievers, and they're strong in spirituality. So mm. a lot of the leaders in our country, in our world, are people who have been very traumatized in the past or their parents. 
So a lot of heroic people come out of out of this this challenge. And mm-hmm. I love what um, an article that you sent me by Rachel Yehuda, where she says, "Who would you rather be in a war zone with? Somebody who's been through adversity and overcome it, or somebody that's been protected all their life?" Right. It's called the wisdom of the survivor. I think the other thing that she says in that same article is that try not to use the past history as a predetermined sentence, but rather reflect on it, be inspired by it, and then take it as a reason to live with it and live better. And I I actually think those kind of um, descriptives that you talked about, the altruism, the empathy, mm-hmm. passing on the story. I mean, it's in some ways, it's an example of what your dad, I think. Do you think that was your dad's goal when he handed you the story of his own life that he wrote? He was trying to pass on strength, Elaine? Well, he certainly wanted me to see, to have pride in mm. my in the generations before me, and and you know how they were special people and they had succeeded in the world until they were completely knocked down by pogroms and starvation in Ukraine. Um, and what's interesting about my father's book is that with all the adversity, he doesn't take any of it personally. He doesn't even blame the perpetrators. He, he does what Martin Luther King did, like they didn't know, they're ignorant, they don't know what they're doing, they're crazy. Um, um, and, you know, of course, there were some pogrom leaders that I guess he did describe as evil, uh, sadistic, obviously, very sadistic and evil. But he, it wasn't a personal transgression. Mm-hmm. It was something mm-hmm. at the world about the world and humanity that was hard to understand. But that's a very important message because it's a message that says you can hold on to your dignity no matter how other people treat you. Exactly. It's, and exactly. that's a, that's a very powerful message. Exactly. To pass and on. also, it, it, it's you know, there's a lot of idealis- idealism because this was. The children were part of the Russian Revolution, and they really believed in those values. So they were idealistic. And many of those Jews brought that to the United States and were leaders in the labor movement and so forth. They continued this idealism about the workers and how they should be taken care of, and there shouldn't be a class society. I'm not saying Russia succeeded in doing this or any communist state succeeded, but but what was transmitted to the children was you can have ideals. You can go for the gold. And think of what a different message that is than revenge, because mm-hmm. it, it is a message that retains dignity and empowerment mm-hmm. rather than becoming a violator because someone violated you. I mean, it's it's a completely different mindset. We're going to take a brief break. 
We're, you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Elaine Cooper. She's the author of Let's All Hold Hands and Drop Dead, Three Generations, One Story. And she's also the author of the ongoing blog, Ancestral Trauma Blog. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Second Wind Success, hosted by Gene Garino, is all about helping boomers catch their second wind in business and life. Most of us achieve our greatest success after the age of 50. Life has a learning curve with a few stumbling blocks along the way. As long as you stay committed to your vision and adapt along the way, you'll find the success you're looking for. Tune in to Second Wind Success every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Elaine Cooper about Transmission of Intergenerational Trauma. Elaine, I wondered if in this segment we could turn to your story and what it is you faced and the legacy you carried from it. I'm going to ask you if you would to read, um, when you're ready, if you would read a page from your beautiful book. Do you want me to do that at first or after I talk a little bit about my history? I think I what? better. I think I better um, just summarize my own. Okay, um, that's my fine. Own story. That's great. That's great. So, um, I grew up in a community where we were the only Jewish family. Um, it was in East LA, and it was largely a Mexican population. But what was really interesting is everybody gave up their culture to be in Los Angeles. 
The Mexicans had none of their wonderful celebrations, Day of the Dead, nothing. And I, you know, my family did nothing in terms of our culture. So we were all just trying to be American and hopefully movie stars and go to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no community to talk about the past, and, and, but yet I felt it. And I can, maybe that this would be a good place for me to read what I read in the book, but before I do, I felt my brother and I were deeply affected by the legacy without there being any discussion about it. Um, and then later in life, my brother was a star, and then later in life he got into deep trouble. And this is what I wrote in the book. This is a section where, as an adult now, I write to my 26-year-old self, and that was a time that my brother was having severe problems. Um, Deep in your heart, you know that your father's life in Ukraine was not only a part of your father, but of Arnold as well. Arnold, Arnold is my brother. Arnold's life seems like an offshoot of our father's. This is what you believe now, and you will always believe it. Some mysteries just are too hard to explain without sounding foolish. In fact, you too were born into your parents' tragedies. Your father's horrific experiences growing up in and escaping from Ukraine, your mother's extreme childhood poverty. When you moved to Monterey Park and starting and started to, sorry, let me get this, and um, started to go to other people's homes. Your sense of wonder was the same as that of someone who had just arrived off the boat at Ellis Island. You benefited from your parents' survival instincts, their idealism and ability to love their children, but these qualities were not enough to equip you and Arnold to navigate in the new world. Wonderful. And so what is it that, how did you manage this legacy to be who you are today, Elaine? Well, a lot of people have asked me that because if you met me today, you would have no idea that I have a history like this. But I think my experience was very similar to a lot of people who come from immigrant families um, in that you think about what your parent went through and you think, how did they do that? It's a complete mystery how you could survive that degree of trauma. So it's very, I can't explain how awesome that is and how far away that seems from your own protected experiences. And for my brother and I, we were sort of drawn to find out what it was like. So like my brother at 17 said, give me a dollar and I'll go cross country on one dollar, which he did. Mm-hmm. He wanted to know what it felt like to really just kind of be down at the bottom of the food chain. And, and I did some pretty risky things, too. I moved to New York in Manhattan where I had no money, no backups with two babies, and, and then found my way 
to survive, and it's nothing like what my parents went through, but I think unconsciously we were both drawn to kind of figure it out and to experience what it was like. So how that translates is you kind of are taught you can, you can handle anything. I mean, given what your parents went through and given that you're connected to them, you know, you can do anything you want. And you can overcome any obstacle that comes in your in your path, and that's and you know they teach you you just survival strategies like you just put one foot in front of the other and you don't let anything stop you from your goal. It's, um, it's really and, it's about courage. You and Arnold had tremendous courage mm-hmm. coming out of that legacy and. You stepped into some risks, risks, but you never stopped walking, mm-hmm, right, <laughs> or, or writing, right. or teaching, or mm-hmm. or passing a different legacy to your girls. Right, and the other thing that I think immigrant families has is this: there's this intense bond between the parents and the children, where the children are somewhat idealized, and and that they're going to make it in the world, and. And in my family, it was like, given what we went through, what you have to take on is like nothing. All you have to do is work and make money and study in school and get good grades and get a scholarship. I mean, how easy can it be? How mm-hmm. difficult can it be? So it gives you a kind of perspective that that's true. You know, mm-hmm. what we had to take on was like nothing compared to what they did, and they survived, and they put one foot in front of the other, so so can you. And they also kept their eye on the prize, you know, what was the most important thing to them. With my mm-hmm. father, it was making a living, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, but that's what survivors do. They focus mm-hmm. on what's important to give food to their kids or whatever. But I was also fought from... With, given the idealism to always do the right thing and that you had to live with yourself. And I think that's a quality that a lot of people pick up on with me that differentiates me from other people because I still am very much like that. Well, it fits with what we talk about as resilience and one of the factors being a moral code. Yes. And a purpose, caring about others, whether you are in a prison in Vietnam as, you know, as a young vet or, you know, someone in L.A. who's trying to figure out why everyone else's house looks completely different than yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very, very powerful um, life journey that you've taken. Now, I think, um, I think I need to tell the story of um, how I found out about my legacy because my brother was always pondering, trying to look at the bigger picture in the world and putting pieces together from the time he was young, whereas I was out socializing, being a social butterfly, wanting to be popular, and, you know, not really that interested in reading or anything. It was just people, people, people. But I started to get more and more confused as I approached adolescence. And then as I matured, my father changed and that his deprivation 
made it so that he could not handle my maturing and going out with boys, and he kind of turned to stone, and I became hysterical every day. He would come home from work, and I would yell at him and cry and just go into my room and cry and cry and cry. This went on for weeks, and they did. my parents didn't know what to do, and my mother said, maybe you should show her your book. And so a few days later, he brought out this manuscript that explained in detail and, and just such detail that you feel that you're, you're actually living it through with him, being in Ukraine with the pogroms and the famine. And, and then my brother read it. And for both of us, it was like the clouds cleared because we understood the whole picture. We understood why he was the way he was, why he acted the way he was. And most important, we needed complexity. We were offered a very simplified picture of the world and of people, and it wasn't enough. And this book connected us with history and with complexity in a very personal way. And that was a tremendous relief. So it's, in the interest of time, we're almost out of time. So this complex narrative that he passed down helped put the pieces together and that was instrumental in helping you at that time mm-hmm. right yeah yeah it's a it's 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 an interesting thing that what was so key to you was your father's writing and your writing I think has been key to many other people it's a legacy it's a positive legacy we talk about legacy of pain here's mm-hmm. a legacy of real uh, purpose that mm-hmm. you picked up Um, I just want our listeners to know how they could find this beautiful book as well as your blog, Elaine. Mm -hmm. How would they find it? Okay, well, the book can be, uh, you can get on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, um, and you also can get it on my website if you want a personalized version, if you want me to write something in a book as a gift for somebody. And the blog is on my website. You can subscribe for the blog. It's free. All you need to do is put in your email, and you will start at the beginning of the blog and once a week it, you'll uh, go through. And the website is elainecooper.com or elainejeancooper.com. And it's worth going to many of the points that Elaine touched upon are explained and and there it's a beautiful it's a beautiful blog site. Elaine, I want to thank you really for illuminating the power and the possibilities of intergenerational transmission of trauma. I, I'm very grateful for your sharing today on the show. Thank you. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember you can hear this and any prior podcast Um, Once the show is aired, remember to comment or question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please take care. Mostly thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 